Hello everyone, thanks for joining. Today I'm speaking with Mia Ashton. Mia is a writer for the Postmillennial, and she also has a substack. Um, it's crymiariver.substack.com. Um, I think I got that right. And Mia writes a lot about gender issues and you know, trans ideology, women's spaces, um, and you know, also trying to focus, I guess, what's going on in Canada. So hi Mia, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. So as I mentioned, like you write a lot about the gender stuff, and that's one of the things in Canada that, like, you hear a lot more about it in the states than you do about it up here. There's a lot more pushback, it seems, in the states than you do see it up here, even in Europe. Here, it's kind of just accepted, and then no one really talks about it. I mean, Bill C16, and then now recently was it Bill C36 that was the, the or affirmation only care, like they called it the. It, okay. were, it was C. It was first. It was C six. The C six died. It came back as C four. C thirty six is another one that we can talk about. That was a a free speech. Well, it was an attack on our free yeah. speech. Yeah, but yeah. So we've had these things come in, and there's you know, no one talks about it. No one really talks about men going into women's prisons. No one, you know, like, like the sports issue. I think is starting to get some of a bit of attention here. So if you wouldn't mind going into like what you see is going on in Canada and you know, like where we're at and <laughs> how far lost we are. Okay. Well, uh, in the last, I would say six months, the debate has changed. So I've been in this since 2019 and it, until about six months ago, there was no coverage in the mainstream media, no no honest coverage, no, no one was really prepared to tackle this issue at all, which is why C16 passed with little opposition, why gender identity and gender expression made it into all provincial human rights codes with no opposition and why the conversion therapy, the supposed conversion therapy ban, ban also made it without anyone opposing it because people don't know what this issue is all about. On the surface, it seems rather pleasant. It seems like the next gay rights. It looks like gay rights. You've got the rainbow flags, you've got the oppressed minority just asking for equality or whatever, the, the way they market it, it looks like gay rights, but it could not be further from the gay rights movement. So in the last six months, we've had the National Post publish numerous articles that have been wonderful, that, that have addressed all of the issues. That's about it, actually. We haven't really had anyone else address it, but that's a start. Um, yeah, where would you like me to start? Should I start with um, spaces? Yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, to me, it's it's the question of the combating rate. So if you want to go back to C-16, you had uh, Yaniv there, and there it was a question of religious rights versus trans rights, and that's what kind of came to a head. And most people don't realize that if you actually read the ruling from the Human Rights Commission, Yaniv didn't lose because of one right one out over the other. They stayed at the OJ case, right, where you know religious rights lost out. Yaniv lost because the court said, well, you know, multiple complaints will be made that have been thrown out, and blah blah blah. Basically, it was a bad witness and it was a bad complainant, and it was just you know a BS claim. But it wasn't because of one right winning it over. So like, yeah, if, like that kind of stuff is because you are putting women's rights in opposition to trans rights now, except unless you are a true believer, because then it's just women's rights, period. Mm. It's a woman now. Well, you see, yeah, the, the Jessica Yaniv thing, that was because of human rights, provincial human rights legislation. C-16 actually changed very little when they added gender identity and gender expression to the the criminal code, federal. It changed very little. Um, we'd already had gender identity put into as a protected characteristic in all our provincial human rights codes prior to C-16. And yeah, when you, you, you have a choice in society, you can either protect sex, biological sex, or you can protect gender identity. You can never protect both at the same time because 
the two are in direct conflict with each other. So you can segregate spaces by biological sex, or you can segregate them by this gender soul that resides within us that nobody can, it's invisible to the naked eye, and you just have to trust people. So if you're in Canada, all over Canada, we have chosen gender identity. Biological sex doesn't matter, women don't matter, women and girls don't deserve protection, and the only people who deserve protection are the people who claim to be in possession of a female gender identity. So this is where the the clash has happened, but sex is still a protected characteristic. When they were adding these to the the, the provincial and federal uh, codes, nobody stopped to ask themselves how you could protect these two opposing categories at the same time. They just sort of added gender identity thinking this is the right thing to do and this will make us look really progressive and tolerant, so forget about the women and girls. Canadian government doing something without thinking. Mm-hmm. The belief. Shocking. <laughs> but yeah, like like this with the with the rights now. The women's spaces thing that's you know like I started talking about all of this starting around 2014, but mainly on my side it was mainly more of race, but it was around 2016 stuff. You've had this going on for a bit now. Um, like in the UK, I remember this was going back about three or four years now. It was in London. There were some pools, and you had you know a mixed pool. You had a men-only pool. You had a women-only pool, and then you had this problem of trans women to the pool. And these were mainly people who just you know self-ID and didn't do anything about it. I mean, like, do you do you find yourself have gotten harsher? Like, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'm just going to frame this, and then you can correct me on anything I'm wrong. Like, so let's say. 2018. So prior to you getting involved in this, if there was someone like, um, you know, who had transitioned, who looks like a woman, and they go into that swimming pool, as opposed to someone who is just self-IDing and like, okay, like me, like, the way I look right now, you know, goatee, obviously a bale, you know, like just, yeah, okay, I'm a woman now, and I'm going to come swimming in these pools with you ladies, like. Like a few years ago, would you have made that distinction saying, okay, you know what? Uh, yeah, that's Blair White. I'll allow it because of this, this, and this. Or like, you know, they're, 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 they're doing their best. They, like it's looks like a woman, at least, or whatever. Like, And now have you, like, now would you say the opposite? Like, I don't know what your position was before and what it is now. Like, was has it changed or do you, or does it stay the same? Oh, it's, it's definitely changed. So I, in 2018... I I I was woke. It's kind of embarrassing. I was a bit woke. I wasn't extremely woke. I wasn't out there with pronouns and, you know, forcing mm-hmm. people to agree with me or anything like that. But I was willing to go along with trans women or women. I didn't believe it. And I honestly didn't think anyone believed it. I thought we were all just going along with it to be kind. So I, st- I didn't see the harm of going along with the lie. And then, well, 2019 came along and I realized it was actually the point when I realized that we were supposed to actually believe it. We were supposed to believe that trans women were literally women, exactly the same as any other woman. That was the point when I realized that I was not going to support it any longer. So yes, in the past, I suppose I wouldn't have I wouldn't have considered, I wouldn't have minded. I know what you're saying. You're saying the sort of fully medically mm. transitioned, traditional transsexual, yeah. rather than the self-ID, any anything goes these days. Sure, I would have in the past been okay with that. I am very <coughs> much at the point now, I'm very hardline now that I think, Female only spaces. That's I, I. I won't budge on that. I think women and girls deserve the safety, dignity, and protection of female only spaces. And whatever else happens outside of that is someone else's <laughs> business. But I want female only spaces, and that that I'm not. That's not negotiable to me. Okay. See, like, okay, like I can respect that, and like. We were talking about, let's say, a rape shelter or a 
you know, prison or something like that, or sports. Um, even though, I mean, sports, unless it's a violent sport, usually like harm is not involved, but like prisons or rape shelters, things like that. Like, I, yeah, no, that's a woman's only space. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how many surgeries you've had, whatever. I'm just, I'm thinking of more in line of like a woman's gym or, you know, like I said, those pools in London. Like, there's, would there be something that's for you a gray area or would there, like, and like I, I'm sorry, and I don't want to focus this on on like your what you how you think of this. I'm just trying to see if like you know, there was a change, but you know I'd like to get back to really what's going on in Canada and how going so far down, uh, especially in schools. But I'm just curious, like for you, is there a gray area between okay, like swimming in those pools is one thing, but going to a rape shelter, like I said, I, I would draw that line there. I don't care what you look like, whatever. If you're, um, if you're biologically male, there's no way you should go into a women's women's shelter. Yeah, there's no great area for me. Uh, bringing it to Canada, let's talk about um, Bridget, Bridget Klein Simpson, I believe was his name. Do you recall this story from, I, I think it was Vancouver Island. It was a few months ago. And it was a, a very large man who believes that he's a woman. And he yeah. had gone to a female-only gym. He had joined a gym. And the gym had a co-ed facility and it had a female-only facility. And Bridget decided that because he is a woman, he possesses one of these women souls, he was entitled to go to the female-only gym. Now, I'm not saying Bridget is necessarily a danger. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying he's not a woman, he's male, and he should he does not belong in a female only gym. It's quite simple, especially when there was a co-ed option available to him. This is a large man. He's hardly going to be at risk in a co-ed gym in in, in any way whatsoever. So he was using the female gym for validation, surely. It's not a safety issue for him. It's it's to validate his womanhood. That, of course, how could any how could I be okay with that? I'm not okay with that at all. So I I think the, the solution, and it's not simple, but it seems simple in my mind, is female-only spaces must be preserved at all costs. And then Let's make the other spaces, the male spaces, can then become mixed sex. So if there are women who don't mind sharing with men, then sure, they can go to the, the mixed sex. And the female spaces can be reserved for women and girls who want the safety and protection of female-only spaces. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, again, I'm pretty much exactly where you are. There's just, like I said, I was just... I've been trying to like weigh out like is there ways to do you know like find a happy medium like there like for me there are some very very hard lines and there's some other things where okay maybe there's a discussion yeah but yeah sticking with Canada like because it's Quebec is getting some of it now but I know Ontario and British Columbia are pretty much the most far gone I think one of the ideas I was being kind of playing around with for the last couple of years was in the school system they're telling kids that if you're white, you're an oppressor, you're evil, you're always going to be evil, you have this sin of whiteness, you can't get rid of it. Then along comes this ideology, which is trans. And if you are non-binary or transgender or whatever, you were always that. So you were always oppressed, so you were not always an oppressor. And so it gives you a way out. So like so when, you know, then more reading up on the autism stuff, I'm like, okay, so you know. If you tell an autistic kid that you're an oppressor, you're like, you know, depending on the level of autism, they're going to take that to your head. That's going to start causing some issues. And if they find a way out, well, you know, they're going to log on to that. So I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's going on in schools or if you've looked at what, like, like how do you see that playing out in schools? Like, am I just pulling stuff out of the air or like, do you think there's something there? Well, there's definitely, we don't talk enough about this, the, the, the wanting to escape oppressor guilt. It really truly is a thing. When you tell young white children that they are evil oppressors, and yet they look at their own lives and they don't really, they don't see themselves as being very privileged, especially the ones who are 
struggling if they're autistic and they're not they're not having an easy time at school and then yeah they're being told they're an oppressor but it doesn't even have to be that it can just be they don't want to be the oppressor they don't want to be the bad guy they don't they and they don't have any other option they can't identify out of their whiteness we know that they can't maybe some would might go through a stage of identifying as as gay when they're not really that that won't last very long either so they go for the trans or the non-binary because that instantly takes them out of the oppressor class and puts them into the oppressed and then they get this oppressed status so it's definitely a thing but our schools are a mess they really are a mess i uh, before i started writing for the post millennial that was kind of my thing was focusing on what's going on in our schools because specifically with gender on the one hand you've got children very young children being taught a political ideology that is in no way grounded in reality whatsoever gender identity ideology is entirely fictional and it's being taught to children as if it's scientific fact so you've got the i don't know if you've seen that dreadful gender unicorn yeah and there's that there's the gender the gender bread person, person. <laughs> oh yeah that's right person up there that's right uh, they've got, there's another one, I can't remember what the other one is called, it's just a blob. Um, so they teach them that what makes them a boy or a girl is this gender identity that only they know and not the material reality of their body. So you've got children being untethered from reality when they're very small. And that continues all the way through school, depending on the teacher. It's not strictly in the curriculum. But you can get, you know, these sort of woke social justice activist teachers who see it as their duty to, you know, indoctrinate, well, they, they wouldn't think of it as indoctrinate, educate the young minds into how to be tolerant and inclusive. So at any point in your child's elementary school life, they can they can find themselves at the mercy of one of these teachers. Then they get to high school and it picks up the messaging is more intense they they they're bombarded with the lies and all of the ideology and at the same time they have these crazy privacy policies where if a child <coughs> comes out as transgender to their teacher changes their name changes their pronouns the schools will keep that a secret from the parents they will immediately allow it they'll they'll, they'll just immediately allow the social transition but they don't tell the parents, they'll keep it a secret from the parents. So your child could be going by a different name, opposite sex pronouns for an entire year and the school wouldn't even bother to tell you. That's very dangerous because then the, the gender identity will concretize in the mind of the child. And by the time the parent finds out, they've got no chance, well, they've got very little chance of taking them off that path and helping them get past it. Um. I don't know if this has happened yet or not, uh, but has a school, or if you know of, has a school taken a child to get like hormone therapy without the parents knowing, or is that still like you know another something that might happen in the future? Or something? I don't want to Ooh, scare tactics. I have not heard of that happening. That would be that would be another overstep, quite yeah. quite an overstep. You see, I know I know Chio. I'm in Ottawa, so Chio is the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. I believe Chio will accept referrals from um, like school counselors or, or or someone someone in the school system but you're still not i think at that point you're going to you're going to need parental consent as far as i know they can't do that without the parents knowing but even that by itself because also at chio they put children on puberty blockers on the very first appointment so you can have you know your your child in this school that is indoctrinating them with all this nonsense they see a school counselor who is affirming the nonsense and the gender identity and then the school counselor refers to chio and the kid gets put on blockers on the very first appointment i, I have spoken to um a couple of detransitioners like my thing with this is like so you're talking about you know you get the puberty blockers right away you get all this like in canada now especially with you know the anti-conversion therapy bill 
as far as I can see it, I mean, maybe I'm wrong with this, but there's no other option that a doctor or a therapist can give a parent or a child right now, aside from just saying, go on this medication. Like, you can't talk about alternate treatments. You can't even mention that. Or am I wrong with that? Well, in C4, I can't remember the exact wording. So C4 is supposedly a conversion therapy ban but in my opinion it makes conversion it makes converting the bodies of mostly gay and lesbian teens the pretty much the only option but i do recall there was a clause in there that it was some sort of affirming affirming psychotherapy or psychotherapy as long as it's affirming is allowed but there's your problem right there well, yeah. there's if you must affirm the gender identity, then you're not being neutral. And what these young people need is, is ethical but neutral exploration of where this, this identity has come from. We are, I don't know if there's another nation that actually has the word cisgender written into law, but we are, um, C4 has the word cisgender all the way through it. So you're, you're not allowed to preference a cisgender identity over a transgender identity it's it's a remarkable piece of legislation and whether or not it forbids or prohibits the the psychotherapy is debatable but what it certainly does do is make non-affirming therapists reluctant to take on the gender patients because they fear that they could get in trouble if they if they say the wrong thing so what we're left with is largely affirmative therapists who are confident in treating the the children they know they won't get in trouble but those are the ones that you definitely don't want to take your child anywhere near like the reason i kind of like most of my focus on this like on any of this stuff and there's a policy that got come out from the government I kind of focus on the education because it's like, okay, if you have these kids going through, like, like I called K through 12 now. I said, they're woke madrasas and it's pretty much what they are in the public school system. And the universities are basically seminaries. So, like, my focus is on that. It's just like, okay, we can do whatever we want right now and we could, like, you know, wave a magic wand and change all the policies that are outside of education. But if you don't change that system inside education, I mean, it's a war of attrition that you're going to lose because you're just continuously coming out with people who are indoctrinated to think this way. So it's like, like that's why I kind of focus more because if you're going to have, like you talked about these woke activist teachers, and that's what I've been seeing when I look at education. They, they, they're not teaching kids to read and write and do math. They're teaching kids how to be activists for that thing. So if it's environment, it's how to be an environmental activist. It's not learning science. It's not learning about the environment. It's not learning you know, what you can do and things like that. It's just how to go out and be an agitator and be an activist. So, you know, I still look at it like, hell, we've got, you know, kids for the last, people for the last 10 years coming out of university or, you know, even if you change all the policies and everything, what are you going to, what are these people going to do for work? Like, what are they going to do? Like, they have, like, expensive student loan debt. They've got no skills. All they've been trained how to do is be agitators. And then it's like, sorry, there's no longer a demand for that. So it's like that, like that. My worry is, yeah, we need to fix, you know, C-16. We need to fix C-4. We need to fix all these laws. Like, the new one the NDP is talking about where you can't protest outside a you know, drag queen thing or whatever. Like, like, we need to fix that, but we need to cut off the source. If we don't cut off that source, we're, we're done. I think that, I mean, that's an enormous task because that is going to require a huge cultural shift. And it, that's going to happen. I, the, way these, the way these woke activists go on uh, right now, it's as if they have found the one true good and society will never turn against it. They All they need to do is push and push and push and eventually educate us to the point that we accept their one true good and then we'll all live in some sort of woke utopia. What they don't understand is that there is going, there's already a pushback and I even feel it in Canada. You might not, but I, I, I feel a huge change in Canada 
in the last six months or so, there is going to be a huge pushback and there is, we are going to go hopefully somewhere closer to reality and we can just get rid of all this junk. You're right. There are going to be a lot of people who will find themselves obsolete uh, with no worthwhile skills, but I, I have very little sympathy there, I have to say. Um, but even, you know, you mentioned Ontario's bill, Bill 94 is what you're talking about, right? The um, Can I get the, the alphabet correct? The 2SLGBTQ yeah. plus um, Community Safety Act or something like that. It's not actually to protect drag queens. If you read the bill... The word drag isn't even mentioned in the bill. The bill is to protect this this alphabet community. And so uh, there they will be sort of, they want safe zones around any LGBTQ whatever event where uh, within 100 meters, you're not allowed to utter an offensive remark. You know, that will be a crime to utter an offensive remark or have an offensive sign. Now, I'm someone I have protested on the streets numerous times and and I'll hold I'll hold a sign I was there was a photograph um of us at the the convoy and I was holding um, no child is born in the wrong body or something like that now Trudeau tweeted about that to say that there were there was transphobia at the the convoy and that was just us with our signs now our signs that we had that are very, you know, very, they're not offensive. They're just, it's, well, reality is offensive to them. But that would technically, under Wong Tam's Bill 94, that would be an offensive remark. So that would be, we would be risking an enormous fine by holding a sign saying, no child is born in the wrong body. It's, a, it's taking us into a very dangerous place, this bill. Yeah, I mean, okay. Again, there's the religious aspect of it to me. It's, it's because everything's wrapped up in identity, and if you take you know, fundamentalist, Muslim, Christian, Jew, like someone from Hindutva, like if you criticize the religion, not the person, not any one person, but you criticize ideas in the religion, to them, they are their religion. They don't really criticize Islam. It's in there, like love Islam and Allah more than. So the very fundamentalists take that. It's the same thing here. So when you're criticizing, when you say that no child is born in the wrong body, you're criticizing their identity. So then it's, you know, criticizing them. It, it was the same thing with, uh, saw this a few years back and I still see it every now and then, you know, if you cure someone of their deafness, you're, mm -hmm. you're committing a genocide on the deaf identity. Yeah. You know, that's insanity. And, but that's, that's where we're at. And it's, it's, we're fighting a religious fervor. I mean, it's, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, it's the Crusades or some sort of jihad or something like that, but I mean, there is, like, we are fighting religious fanatics. This is a, this is a religion of a different kind, though, because this is, any other re religious belief in, in society, in, in mm -hmm. Canadian society, you can, you can hold it privately. So if you're, if you're Christian, you don't need everyone to be Christian in your community in order for you to maintain your belief. If you, you believe in reincarnation, you don't need everyone in society around you to also believe in reincarnation in order to sustain that belief. But the the thing about the religion of gender is it requires that everyone participate. It's not enough that somebody, a man can believe himself to be in possession of a woman's soul and that makes him a woman. It's not enough. He can't hold that belief individually. Everyone in society also has to believe or pretend to believe that he is a woman and we have to welcome him into all of our spaces so it's a it's a it's a religion where everyone is forced to participate okay yeah it is a okay so my take on that is like if you take a look at like well i'll stick with islam because i just read something today where in sweden they're asking the government to stop I can't remember which city. They want them to stop the food festival because it's falling during Ramadan. Now, that's Muslims imposing their religious values on the rest of the world. And it's, it's, it's not coming from all Muslims. It's coming from a very fundamentalist faction of it. <clears throat> the gender ideology, or, you know, for the most part, woke, whatever you want to call it, 
it is a new and upcoming faith. So most of these people are new converts. And new converts always want to show that they're the most pious and they're the most faithful. So they're going to force it on everyone else. And like the way, the way I'll, you know, where, where I do agree more with you there is Islam, yes, you can stop them from having that food festival, let's just say. You can't stop them from eating during the day. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, they want you to disbelieve reality. Like you have to believe that two plus two equals five. You cannot believe or that a man can give birth to a child. Sorry, I'm not going to believe that. So yeah, like that, that, that's where I'll give you that. But it is because in my mind, it's because it's a fundamentalist faith. They're all fundamentalists at this point because it's new and they have to go out and spread the good news. They have to let everyone know and they have to, you know, and I mean, that's when I when I said I spoke to transitioners. That was another thing I noticed as well. Like both of both Sinead and Helena, where you know they said about after about five or six years, I was like, okay, well, that's when they really went into detransitioning and going back. They might have thought about it earlier before. And if I look at converts, um, you know, like more to Islam again. All this is after about five years, either they become completely fundamentalist or they become moderate or they leave. And it's it's at that point where that that final decision is made so it's like for the first five years it's kind of like you're trying it on you're not sure mm-hmm. but unfortunately in in this case you know trying it on could mean surgery they call up there it could mean a lot of like irreversible stuff yeah. I, I, irreversible stuff performed at a time of identity development as well it's not it's one of them one of the craziest things really is that we have somehow been we're supposed to believe that a teenager a teenager's identity is fixed and that they will always have that identity all throughout their life a 14 year old if she says she will never want children if you take away gender, if, a, if an average 14-year-old said she would never want children, you would never believe her because you know that most 14-year-olds probably don't want to become mothers and that over time that will likely change. But if the teenage girl says she's a boy, you add gender into the mix, all of a sudden we have to believe that she will never ever want children, that this is fixed and she knows who she's going to be in the future. That's totally baffling to me because we between age 12 and 25 we know that's a crucial stage of identity development you go through many different versions of yourself until you finally settle into the adult that you will one day become and the fact that we are intervening we are well first of all blocking the puberty which blocks the natural maturity that puberty would bring then we're giving them the cross-sex hormones and then we're chopping body parts off them, healthy body parts that they will one day very likely want, all before they've even reached full maturity. It's It's got to be one of humanity's greatest crimes. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I, we talked about this for a couple of years, and even like two years ago, I said, when the lawsuits start happening, it's going to make, you know, like the recovered memory scandal that happened in the 80s, it's going to make look, that look like nothing, because that was, I think, 50 cases or something here you're talking you know i I don't even want to know the number like the numbers are insane i i often try to put a number on this and i and i just can't we just don't know i was reading the other day about one clinic that currently has you know 1800 kids and that's just one clinic over all of the the clinics all over the world and over all the years, I, I do not know the numbers. But the recovered memory, that's been my thing the, for, for a long time. Multiple personality, the recovered memory, satanic panic. That one was huge and lives were destroyed, communities were destroyed, and it was absolute madness. And I think you can draw an awful lot of parallels between the two. Uh, it's uh, it's not really it's hard to say this one because it has the surgical element and because it has it is targeting really it's it's targeting our most vulnerable young people it's not targeting the young people who are thriving and doing really well in life it's 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 targeting it's the people who it's the young people who are struggling who get sucked in and that's what makes it so tragic 
But the recovered memory, that was that was insane. That was completely what they did to those women was completely insane. And they did, they really truly did ruin lives in a different way. Yeah, I when I said like there was only 50 cases, I, I believe what I read was there were 50 lawsuits. So I mean there's mm-hmm. a lot more people affected. Yeah. Um I think it's gonna be the same in this. There's gonna be more people that were yeah. affected than, than that take it to court. Um, you know, I mentioned detransitioners a couple of times and I remember when C4 was being debated. There was, don't know if it was an MP or if it was a provincial member of parliament, and it was from the NDP, and he said, go straight out, like, oh, detransitioners are a you know, right-wing lie. It's Rand- Randall Garrison. I remember uh-huh. that day very well. That was when it was C6, justice. <laughs> there was a justice committee. <laughs> yep. He's NDP somewhere out in BC. I'm not really sure. Uh-huh. But yeah, uh, I mean... Are we, are, like you said, things are changing in the last six months. Are you seeing, you know, I try to keep up with the media, but like obviously you can't want to see everything or watch everything, but I don't notice that much talk about detransitioners per se in Canada. Like I've heard it in other countries. Um, even if it's just getting more vocal saying, oh, that's not a real thing, um, but at least they're talking about it, whereas I don't see any of that in Canada. Well, we had we have Michelle Zakinia, the D-trans, um, the first D-trans lawsuit. She's in Ontario. So when she announced her lawsuit, the National Post did a great piece, maybe more than one piece. No one else picked up the story, as far as I can remember. No mainstream outlet picked up her story, but she definitely has brought the conversation into the public. The around the same time, CTV did its usual garbage article where they just churn out nonsense junk science that just is is just absurd. Like the, it had, I recall, it had the one percent detransition rate. They still, most people in in gender clinics, they will still tell parents that the 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 detransition rate is less than one percent. Um, so CTV were pushing that lie. They were pushing the um, the the even at one point in the article they said over the years detransition has gone down as as screening the screening process has improved. It's the most absurd lie I've ever seen in print anywhere. The, the 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 screening process has been thrown out the window. There is no screening process. They transition all of them that walk through the door. And we we have studies. There's two, there are two studies. I think they might both be Canadian, one Canadian American and one Canadian, where the detransition rate for one of them is 16%, and the detransition rate for the other is 29%. We are we are so far from the one percent detransition rate that they are still pushing that it's really not like it's amazing that they can still cling to that. But they have to cling to the one percent because if you admit that detransition is real, then you have to admit that you've done terrible harm. Whether you're a journalist, whether you're in a gender clinic, or whoever, politician, if you've been pushing for this medical atrocity. You, as soon as you admit detransition is real, you have to admit that you've done terrible harm. So they're just ignoring that right now, but they can't ignore it forever. Okay, the 1% thing, like my understanding of that statistic, and again, I could be wrong with this, was that it was because most of the people who detransition just stopped going to the clinic. So you didn't have an exact number. You just had people who stopped. So did they ever take, like, I'm just curious if anyone ever looked, okay, you only got 1% detransitioning, but you know, you have a 30% dropout rate. Oh, yeah, for sure. The dropout rate is always huge. The 1% comes from the time before the social contagion, before before the trans rights movement kicked off this social contagion and, and before the medical world lost its mind and just started affirmation and transitioning anyone who walks through the door of a gender clinic. So the 1% even then back then when th- there was gatekeeping and they really truly tried to select the people for whom transition would be a success and yes 1% detransition rate is surely surely not accurate because most people most people either detransition and just disappear and never contact the the healthcare providers again they they're gone 
or they there can be in the in the past there used to be a lot of not necessarily detransition because really when you think about it detransition is not possible once you've gone all the way there is no going back and detransition sort of sounds like you can just go back and everything's okay so i think there might be a lot of people who live with the regret they haven't necessarily detransitioned but they they wouldn't be considered thriving and happy and so for randall garrison that day i remember being so furious that day when he they wouldn't first of all they wouldn't for the c6 hearing they wouldn't allow detrans canada to testify they refused the the um application of detrans canada and then they had i have to mention this person they didn't let detrans canada testify but they did let an autogynephilic man who thinks he's a woman he tra- he testified randall garrison i'm sure was a part of this he testified to say rapid onset gender dysphoria is not real and trans women are not autogynephiles now autogynephilia is the driving force behind a lot of men's desire to become a woman and that is it's a it's a fetish it's a an erotic desire to become a woman and then this this person this autogynephilic man who testified his twitter history is full of his autogynephilic masturbation habits there's all sorts of tweets of him saying all sorts of very very um inappropriate things for twitter as far as i'm concerned but randall garrison chose to listen to this man rather than detrans canada he just chose to ignore the fact that detransitioners exist it didn't go through at c6 it went through the after the next election like I've heard it said to people, like, okay, well, you were never really trans then. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you know, okay, um, I'll take my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law converted to Islam. You know, married my sister. I mean, they've been married like over 20 years. Whatever. I'm not saying anything like, but let's say he was to. They were to divorce tomorrow, and he quits Islam. So I could say, well, you never really Muslim because you. That I can kind of understand, but someone, you know, going through surgery. And doing all these medical procedures, no one really does that on a whim. Like you weren't really trans. Like I don't know how. I know they deny reality, but like to actually say that to someone, and it's just it's it's the same thing. Like I said, I see it on the religious end. Oh, you weren't really Muslim, really this. Well, I mean, if they weren't really trans, why did they why did they get all the medical interventions? So there's the there's the problem right there. Is that if i don't believe there is such a thing as true trans i don't believe anyone is trans it's not an innate immutable trait gender dysphoria is a mental illness and one of the treatments for this particular mental illness is medical transition so transition is something that you do it's not something that you are so first and foremost i don't believe in any of it but let's just say there were people who really are trans if that's the case, doctors are going to have to find a way to figure out who's who. Because right now, at this point, at the start of the process, no healthcare professional can tell who is trans and who is not. Or you can word it in a more realistic way, who is going to do well with medical transition and who is not. Particularly when it's children, you can't tell which children are likely to persist they are the minority far far in the minority and which children are likely to desist and and just grow up to be gay gay or lesbian so what needs to happen if we're going to continue with this medical experiment is they're going to have to figure out who is going to benefit from this medical treatment rather than right now they just put everyone on the pathway and hope for the best you know I don't want to keep you too, too much longer, but I'd like to talk about one thing here because I just it's it's, a, it's so glaring that you know the hypocrisy of all of this. So you know trans rights. Like, I mean, I grew up in the eighties. I was a kid. I remember even back then. You know, if a girl wants to play with trucks, let a girl play with trucks. If a boy wants to play with dolls, let a boy play with dolls. It's just a boy playing with dolls. Like, there was, it was supposed to be no problem with that, and that's fine. You know, they did, you know, like I said. Little, little boy wants to play with dolls, let him play with dolls. Who cares? 
but now it's if a boy plays with dolls and he's a girl. If a, I mean, I've heard parents say, well, my boy had long hair, so he must want to be a girl. So I, you know, we started transitioning it. And it's like, your kid had, you know, so the, like the hypocrisy in that, like they're bringing back, you know, the, the, the 50s gender stereotypes. And of course. Then there's the hypocrisy with like, what you mentioned gay and lesbian kids. Like, you know, if, especially on the lesbian side of it, like, you know, those suck my woman dick I mean, like, like stuff like that like i mean there's a guy who was running for new york state uh democratic party like he, he was giving a speech on stage he was wearing a tight and i'm saying he he was wearing a tight knit skirt and you could see his around oh yeah yeah i know yeah i mean and he, he put out tweets where he said like you know suck my suck my woman dick like and i don't mean to be crude but like when they say that and it's you know you talk about conversion therapy and then you're telling a lesbian woman, you know, to perform fellatio on a man. Like, I mean, it's just, or it's, like with the gender stereotypes. It's entirely, the entire movement is based on regressive stereotypes and homophobia. That's, and, and misogyny. And so if you look at the trans kids, I agree with you. I think we were, at one point, we were getting to a place where toys are just toys. There's no such thing as a girl toy. There's no such thing as a boy toy. It's not technically true in the sense that I think I have both. I have two boys and a girl, and I've seen the difference in how they play. And so there are boys will be typically drawn to one type of toy and girls typically to another. But we were getting to a place where it was okay for girls to play one however they want. You can play however you want. And then along came the trans rights movement. And all of a sudden, yes, the the you you just have to look at the celebrity so-called trans kids. You've got Jazz Jennings, who was a very effeminate, sweet little boy who loved to wear dresses and dance around and do ballet and wore a sparkly bathing suit. So his parents decided that made him a girl. And now look at the state of his life. You know, he's gone through the most brutal medical pathway, and I do not believe he has found happiness. You've got um, Susie Green of Mermaids, the, the trans charity in England. Same thing. She tells the story that her sweet little boy, her husband was homophobic and couldn't deal with her little boy wearing a Snow White outfit. So they transitioned the little boy, told him he was a girl. There's another one in um in the US, Kai Shapley. Same thing. It's just they they would the, the mother is on camera admitting that they used to spank the child for playing with girl toys. It's it's all regressive stereotypes. And then all three of those boys are almost certainly just they were just future gay men and their their parents couldn't extreme gender nonconformity in childhood is strongly indicated. It's a strong indicator of homosexuality in adulthood. So you've just got homophobia and regressive stereotypes ruining the lives of these poor little children. Yeah, I mean, okay, that's, that's, and again, like, you know, pink news, and pink, praising Iran and Pakistan, transitioning. Oh, look how progressive they are. It's like, no, they're giving these people a choice, like, get killed or transition. You know, you can live your life out as a "quote unquote" straight couple, or one of you is going to die, or both of you are going to die. I mean, it's the same thing here. It's it's the like I've asked a couple of people this, and I don't think there's enough statistics because I've heard rumblings of it in some certain fundamentalist religious corners, like like Muslim and um, like you know fundamentalist evangelical Christians, where it's better to transition the kid to make them straight than to have a gay son or daughter, like you know, gay or lesbian. Um, so, I mean, there is that as well. Like, like it's fundamentalism. Like, they, 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 it doesn't matter. Like, we just want these ends. They don't care that. Okay, I, should, I, I want to make this clear. You should ask me the question because I, I haven't seen it anywhere. But so let's say you know someone goes through transition and they transitioned into you know they're they're now a trans woman. They've completed all the surgery. They've completed all that. Is there support after the fact, or are they just left on their own? Like, I'm just curious. Like, how much. They talk about the suicide reality and all that. I'm just curious, like after after transition, like do these clinics or whatever offer support or like support groups or because you still have that high suicide rate going, you know, after people transition. I don't think 
I don't think they're offering very much support. I think there's a major problem with those embarking on transition do not have a realistic idea of what transition is. They have a very idealized idea, like they think it's going to solve all their problems. They think once they get to the end of the medical pathway, they will be happy. They will finally find themselves and they will finally find happiness. And I think it rarely turns out that way. Maybe for some it does, but I think very often it does not. And yes, you're right. There's no, as far as I know, there are no support groups on the other side to help them navigate life as a transgender person. And it's, they're being, I think they're being sold a lie. I think there's a wonderful, I I often talk about this. I don't know if you know who Az Hakim is. He was a, I think he was a psychiatrist at the Tavistock, the soon to be closed Tavistock Gender Clinic in London. And he did a brilliant thing where this is pre the social contagion, pre the political movement, where he had a group of people wanting to transition and he put them together in the same group with the people who regretted their transition. They hadn't necessarily detransitioned, but they regretted aspects of it. And he put the two together so that the people wanting to transition could hear from the people who had gone through it and they they could they they could understand each other and he had a 98% success rate in that 98% did not ultimately go on to medically transition because they understood what it really is rather than the rainbows and unicorns that they were being sold and so i th- and he said i think he said if the, the 2% who who did transition went to, into it with a much more realistic idea and therefore had a much greater chance of succeeding and thriving in life but because we're not allowed to talk about the negative aspect of this we we're, we're supposed to pretend that it's all wonderful and 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 that we have to celebrate it and nobody's allowed to talk about the 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 side effects or the complications or anything so people are not being prepared for what they're embarking upon and then when they get to the other end they're not being supported when perhaps it doesn't turn out quite how they thought it would yeah, okay and also on my end i just want to clarify i'd much rather they got proper care before the transition than after and i'm just i was just curious like once you know you push them through this is you know, they just turning it out like a factory then there's no they don't care about it after the fact it's just because if you're not taking some care at the start, I mean, at least you should make sure, you know, the people you're quote unquote treating are, are able to live in the outside world after. You know? Well, part of the problem is we we depathologized it. So around mm-hmm. like 2010, when the movement was just building up, they they decided to depathologize being transgender. So it's basically now. It's an identity, it's an innate immutable trait, and it's not a mental illness. And the mo- and we're forbidden from calling it a mental illness, gender dysphoria. It's now just this, this transgender identity. So if these people are embarking on this really brutal medical pathway, but they do not have a mental illness, they're not ill. It's this bizarre, I don't know how they hold this belief in their mind where perfectly healthy people requiring body part amputation. It doesn't really go well together, but we have to pretend that gender dysphoria is not a mental illness. We have to pretend that it's a perfectly natural, healthy thing to want to do, to have your genitals chopped off or have your body parts chopped off. And so why would we provide support to these perfectly healthy people who at the end of their medical pathway, they are supposed to be thriving because that is their life-saving care. We're told this all the time. It's nonsense, but that's what we're told. Why would you need to provide support when this is the answer? This is the solution. I guess that's part of it too. Like if you, if they needed this as a cure, I mean, like my legs are broken and I need, or you know, I broke my back, I need surgery, whatever. Afterwards, I, I need to like rehabilitate. So I mean, you know, that, that's all considered when you're doing that surgery. Like, that there's nothing considered after the fact. It's again, it's 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 it's, it's magic thinking. Like, well, as soon as we do this, you're going to be fixed. It's like, no, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's the, all... the, the, go ahead, sorry. 
it's brutal and it's experimental as well. The idea that this this in, insane medical pathway is going to fix everything and then you won't need any help afterwards, your life will be perfect. That's madness, complete yeah. madness. Um, again, like I said, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I know that there's, okay, you mentioned like the last six months, you're, you're feeling a little more hopeful, but I know that there's like groups out in Canada now that are starting to push back. There's one, I think it's uh, like pause bars. Like I know it's Canadian women um, oh, I think it's like, yeah. like it's C A W S B A R or something like that. Cause bar. I pronounce it cause bar, but that's because okay. I'm from England. Cause bar. It's. Sounds... I, I don't know. I, I just saw like call, like as in a call of a pro. Like I, I wasn't sure how you pronounced it, so I wasn't. Cause bar. Canadian <laughs> women's sex based rights. Yeah, I'm. I'm okay. in there, of course. Um, yeah. They've been around for who? I think probably since 2018. I'm gonna guess. Mm -hmm. It's. It's difficult with Causebar. We um, we have to be careful that we don't let in the wrong people. We're growing and growing, but there's uh, we, we're also careful about security, so we're not letting in people who might have not so good intentions. But yeah, it's a group of it's just a cross Canada coalition of women, you know, to raise awareness. We did a we did a. Um, overpass operation overpass where we hung a banner over mm. the overpass on the queensway in ottawa it's really fun yeah i mean like there's like certain things coming back but what would you like to see happen in canada like would you like to see more local involvement with parents and stuff or like how how do you think we can start like really making effective change because i mean even if we got the conservatives in parliament and I mean, okay, even if you got like, you know, Maxime Bernier in power tomorrow, it's not going to change because it's it, this stuff is so entrenched. And like, I mean, like it, it's in the bureaucracy, it's everywhere. Like, I don't know. From like I said, my personal thing is like, I think we need more local thing, but I don't know what if you have any ideas on it. Like, what well, I mean, I would like to see people just talking about it for one, like we're doing now. But just everybody needs to. Uh, we have we still have free speech we still have the charter of rights and freedoms however i understand that i am in a unique position because i cannot get fired i cannot lose my job for saying anything that i've said today it's not possible many people could if they spoke out but i would like to see people get over their fear and just start talking about it um i protests are great there have been there there've been lots of protests there there's there's a young man in Ontario, Josh Alexander, the, the mm -hmm. high school student who is excluded from his school for saying there are only two sexes and organizing a single sex bathroom protest. So Josh, I think his, he's inspiring the youth of Canada. The, his protests are growing and growing and high school students are starting to rebel against the indoctrination and, and, and just refuse to be silenced on this issue so we've got him waking up the young people and then there are protests the the drag queen protests sometimes i think drag queen story time protests sometimes we don't get the nuance to the issue there can be people on one side they think it's um just a fun form of dress up and you're a bigot if you disagree and then there are people on the other side who just scream pedophile into a megaphone that's not really helping either you need to have um i like the protests but i think we've got to we've got to have the conversation to go with it i would like to see people i you know we 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 write briefs i've written so many briefs i've written so many emails i've written and they just fall on deaf ears so it almost feels like that's a complete waste of time but I don't think anything is really truly a waste of time. Every tiny little effort is going to chip away at this this sort of fortress that we have to dismantle. Yeah, I mean, like I said, for myself personally, I think more local involvement. School boards. Well, that's where it's been happening in Ottawa. We've had some great. Mm -hmm. There was a Nick Morabito, the the mm -hmm. father who raised concerns about males in female bathrooms the the response from the rainbow people was was as predictable as you can imagine but it did bring the conversation out and and that's all we need to do people don't realize what's happening and they don't realize the seriousness of it so 
once the conversation is out there, it will tip quite quickly, I'm sure. Yeah, I think once people realize. Um, anyways, it was great talking to you. If you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you, where they can find your stuff, I'll put the links to some of your articles uh, in the post millennial in the description. I'll put a link to your uh, Substack as well. But oh, sure, I should correct that. The Substack I I did I did once uh, last summer. I think take Crimea River. I don't I don't use that Substack. The the piece I had published was on Michael Schellenberger's Substack okay. Public. My Substack, I, it's there's nothing there. There's nothing to see. So on Twitter, it's at underscore Crimea River. Mia is M I A. Hmm. Um, and then I I write daily for the Post Millennial news coverage on gender. Right. Well, thanks a lot, Mia. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks everyone for listening.